and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of 9 to 42, the podcast from the guys behind the guitar show. Uh, We are still locked down, uh, so this is a remote recording. I am looking at uh, my good friend Jace Hunt on screen. Morning Jace, how are you? Morning Ant, I'm good, how are you? I'm absolutely fine. I'm fine because I've managed to get something that approaches a haircut this week. Uh, and as traumatic as it was at the time, I now feel, uh, you know, I, I feel somewhat somewhat tidier. Yeah, it's going to be one of the great things that comes out of lockdown, isn't it? People's haircuts. Yeah. Who ever thought hash down lockdown hair or lockdown haircut would become a thing at the start of the year? <laughs> well, no. That... That, uh, that you banana know, bread. Banana bread, haircuts. Um, I did recommend that you bought a hat, but you didn't follow up on that. No, uh, I didn't. No, I should have gone with that, but I, you know. But where can I go to buy a hat? It's a non-essential item. It's Amazon. All right. You, you get anything off you, Amazon. Yeah, you, you live your life off Amazon and eBay, don't you? Oh, you're a, just, you're a proper full-on. <laughs> My wife is appalled at the amount of parcels that keep turning up. That uh, smiley face appears at your house every day, doesn't it? Uh, pretty much almost every day, oh. yeah. The, jo- the joy of Prime. Don't have to worry about the it. The joy of Prime. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, you're fine. Well, we need to be careful here because you had a, a mate tell you that um, we need to cut down on the bants at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, sorry. Um, so, And we've already... We've already gone down a rabbit hole, haven't we? So we've perhaps better up to sort ourselves out. Um, this week, this week, episode six, we are finally bringing you the recording that we did with Bumblefoot. Ah, uh, Ron. What a star. What an absolute star. And what a surreal evening we had talking to Ron. And this was the first of the remote interviews we'd done, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. God, it was weeks ago now, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Ron was, uh, so it was uh, a night time for us and it was mid-afternoon for Ron in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he had his guitar, he had, he had a couple of guitars on the go. Uh, I don't know what he'd been smoking, but he was, he was, he was up for it. He was, um, he was up for it. Um, I think he's quite a clean living chap. Having been out to eat with him several times, um, he's, he's, he's quite, <laughs> I went for a curry with him. And uh, he had quite a hot of curry. Of course, he did. And he actually put his own cur- um, chili sauce on top of the curry. <laughs> that's that's impressive. It, it, you, you've got to go with that. It's impressive. In fact, yeah. In fact, I went with him. I went out for a curry with him on the um, Saturday night of the guitar show, and yeah. on the Monday night, I drove him down to Brighton on the Monday, and. Um, uh, we stayed overnight in a hotel. He'd done a, a Bim, Bim Brighton thing for us, and uh, yeah, we went out for a curry on the, the Monday night as well. Well, he's. Um, I mean, I've I've not met him, so I've not met him at the show. Um, so it was the first time I'd spoken to him. Obviously, you you know him, and he's he's, he's done the show. Has he done the show a couple of times for you? Yeah, he's done it twice. Uh, uh, one uh, first time about five years ago, I think. Hmm. Where um, I mean, I, I didn't know him. Um, uh, Vigier Guitars came over. Uh, Patrice came over from France, and they brought along Ron, and, and he was brilliant. Uh, but 
you know, um, once I've met him and I've got their email address and their phone number, it was quite easy to get in for the the, yeah. the second time. And he was so popular the first time. There was never any doubt in my mind that I'd have him back and, you know, it'll come back again. Uh, it, it just, uh, he was flying back from, I think it was Malaysia or Singapore, something like that. Um, so he stopped over and landed in London um, before he went back to New Jersey. Um, I, you know, so it was a relatively easy sort of thing for him. And, uh, and it, because of working for BIM, he ended up doing um, clinics for uh, BIM Bristol first, then I think it was Birmingham, then Manchester, and then he did Brighton on the Monday after the show. Uh, and he, he was fantastic. He, I, I mean, I, I think we talk about it in the interview. Um, in Birmingham, he played with the students, which was fantastic. Mm. I walked into the sound check and he asked anybody if they knew Detroit Rock City by Kiss. And uh, one of the drummers put his hands up. So he dragged him up onto the stage and they, they ran through Detroit Rock City. And it, it was just mental because he was just, it, it was before the clinic started, he was just chatting away to the students. And, um, you know, as you'll find out in the podcast, he is a bit of a human jukebox. And uh, I was shouting out really obscure Kiss songs at him. And he could play all of them, including Freely solos, note for note. It was just mental. Um, and then when we went down to Brighton, somebody asked him who his favourite guitarist was. And he kind of ummed and ahed around the, the subject, but then kind of admitted that Eddie Van Halen was a, like a huge influence when he was a kid. And then played Eruption and then played Eruption backwards, which was just the most insane thing I've ever seen. He, he is just a monster. I mean, just... But as you, and you'll hear it, and I'm not. I don't want to say too much more because it comes across anyway. But but you know, effervescent and you know, just just so. I mean, infectious in terms of his enthusiasm, but just such a you know a nice guy as well. And and we and and I I wasn't. I mean, as I say, it's first time we did. I wasn't prepared for what it was going to be like. And he just he just hit the ground running, and we just you know we lost an hour. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, I think I think I think you know we recorded some of it. We were chatting for some of it. We must be on the phone an hour and a half to him. Mm, easy, um, you know, you know. So it was great. Uh, well, so with that, oh god, you were going to say something? I was going to say he's a great uh, raconteur. I mean, the, yes. the drive from Birmingham to Brighton is about three hours, and uh, we chatted the whole way and all the way back because I dropped him off in the Midlands uh, sort of on the Tuesday, and uh, I mean, I had I got told. Guns and Roses stories that I just can't repeat. Repeat, <laughs> but they were just amazing. Well, there's a bit of that. There's a bit of everything, really. So, um, so you know, sit back uh, and, and enjoy the next sort of uh, thirty-five, forty minutes with Ron, and we'll uh, we'll catch you at the other end. So yeah, so thanks for agreeing to do this, Ron. No, my pleasure. It's taking out my Invisalign, so I don't sound like this. <laughs> we just thought we'd catch up with you, really, given this post-COVID-19 world. Post-COVID-19 world. Yeah, so uh, you were you were in Europe, weren't you, when it all kind of kicked off? Yeah, we had just started the tour, just as everything started escalating over there. And we were watching carefully, uh, just trying to place our bets on when, how long we can stay, if we can stay, uh, how far we'll get. Uh, do we get all the way until we start doing the bus? We started off, we were doing fly dates, flying everywhere. And then 
starting, uh, it was going to be about March 9th, I think. We were going to get the bus and start doing a couple of weeks on the bus. Before that could even happen, everything was shutting down. Shows were canceling. It wasn't going to happen. Uh, canceled the bus, put all our stuff in a storage locker in Germany, and just started planning how we can get out, which shows we can do, and if we travel from where to where, and all of that stuff, and pretty much just made it out before it would have became extremely difficult and a lot of quarantining and everything. And here we are. Yeah. So I've been... Uh, I was in China when this began. I was doing some acoustic shows with court, uh, court acoustic guitars, and I remember I was in a town outside, uh, maybe an hour out of Beijing, and there were reports that three people just got sick from eating something they shouldn't, and they got some weird virus. But it wasn't in Wuhan. We were a thousand kilometers away from there. Uh, so this might have been just some little thing that came up and died down. But then right after that, uh, I started hearing about the escalation of it all. And this is not something we all would have expected. If one year ago, uh, if someone said, one year from now, we're all going to be under lockdown. Most people are not going to be working. We're all going to be home and just trying to restructure with our human resiliency how we are going to uh, rebalance how we live. I don't think any of us really would have believed it or... I don't think anyone even believed this would last as long as it has. And it's going to last a lot longer. Yet, with that said, I mean, God. Uh, Marcus Aurelius had to deal with a 15-year plague while he was ruling Rome. Uh, there were good hundred years of hundreds of thousands of people dying from smallpox not that long ago. Uh, you know, this is not the first time the world is experiencing this. Uh, it's the first time we are. Uh, but the world has been through worse, and they've gotten through it, gotten past it, and so will we. Uh, just praying that that can happen with the least amount of casualties. Yeah, because uh, you're New Jersey, aren't you? You're not too far from uh, New York. Oh, yeah, I'm just right over the water, yeah. I keep hearing from friends that are like, oh, my dad has it, he's fighting it, but it's tough. Uh, I had it, but I did okay. I had one friend that was in the hospital. I just recently heard that someone I work with, their, their brother passed away. Uh, yeah, it's, it's close to home. So uh, you've um, used your time wisely and recorded a new single then? I did, yes, yes. Uh, it was a song that I had lying around that I just never finished. And what better time to finish it up and start on some new things and use this time to be creative. So the song is called Planetary Lockdown. I wonder how I came up with that title. Uh, and did some experimenting with some uh, pitch delay effects that... I should just show you. Switch to the other guitar. What I did is I took the guitar and the song is 128 beats per minute. So a 16th note would be roughly 117 milliseconds. So I set a delay to just give me one repeat at 117 milliseconds. So I hit a note and then the note repeats. But it's a pitch delay where that repeat is going to be 
seven half steps higher, a perfect fifth higher. Every note I play, I play bop, and you hear bop bop. So I started just coming up with patterns and ideas that would use this pitch delay to make something just uh, interesting on the ears. So. Stuff like that. Sometimes I'm playing the fifth along with the repeating fifth so that we end up getting a triple boom, boom, boom. So instead of I go, I play both notes. So now you're getting boom, boom, boom. Like that. And every once in a while, I'm playing a pair of really tight 32nd notes. So you get like that. So I started doing patterns with that. And you just got to time it just right so that you're just grabbing the 32nd notes and stopping before it, it bleeds. Let's see. I should tune the guitar. Stuff like that. The part itself isn't really that tough on the hands, just coordinating the patterns. Mm. <laughs> so is there, is there any more solo stuff? Is that what you're recording now? Or? Uh, I finished that one up, and now I need to just write some more music. I've been doing a lot of things. I've been doing some acoustic songs, some acoustic covers that I did on tour when I was doing that China tour with Court, China and Korea. And... Uh, I do a lot of acoustic covers, so I recorded a few of them, so there's a nice, clean recording of them, and maybe I'll put some of those out. <laughs> so did we just lose the, uh, the connection because I got a fucking spam call? It said, I don't know how it is over there, but in the U.S., it is a huge problem, these fucking robocallers. Yeah, it's not got any worse through the lockdown. I mean, we've had some spam um, emails and some spam SMS, but the calls are about the same. Yeah, I get for the last, I don't know how long, maybe five calls a day from numbers that are spoofing my own phone number that look similar to it with like the same first three digits. Yeah, yeah. And it interrupts anything I do when I'm using my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've not had that, but we've had lots of other bits. Uh, lots of people mimicking um, government stuff. The government's used, been using SMS and there's been people uh, mimicking those, which isn't which is Yeah, that's great. not cool. Now is not the time to be fucking around like that. No, it's not. That's, that's very uncool. So, Ron, quick question from me. Uh, has there been any talk um, around the musicians community about when this might start to open up again? Has there been any people chatting about plans for tours or for, 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 for what you know might come at the other end? Because I know I've seen a lot of um, people doing home-based stuff and some home gigs and what have you, uh, and, and that's great and help keeping you know people in, in, in sort of ticking over. But in reality, this is an industry that relies on, you know, on musicians getting out and, and, and playing live. So I, I, I wonder, you know, what you'd, you'd heard about that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a huge mess. Uh, at this point, everybody is gambling on the future, saying, all right, I'm going to book things for, uh, you know, we had our tour rescheduled for June. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, some days in August, don't know if that'll happen. You know, there's things going around, 
people saying that there won't be any shows till next year. People have booked up next year to the point that if you try to book up next year, you may not even find a venue that's available or a time slot or anything. Uh, so it's going to get a little messy once the, once the doors are open again. Uh, everyone is going to be trying to be trying to squeeze through them, and even then, I'm curious: Will a lot of people get accustomed to this way of life? And there might be some that say, "You know what? I'm not going to go out and tour. I'm going to stick with this online concert thing." Or some people that say, "You know what? I'm not going to go out and buy tickets. I'm just going to keep watching from my home." So there might be a a lasting effect, a residual effect, I guess you can say, of all of this. Or some may actually like this lifestyle better. Uh, so we'll see. It's going to be a different world when we come out of it. It's going to be a little bit different. Do you think as a musician yeah. that some of the web-based and the streaming options actually get you closer um, to the audience? I mean, obviously they can't get you closer physically, but is there a, is there a connectivity there that you wouldn't necessarily get? Um, or you couldn't get through a, a, a live gig. And and I guess, do you think people are probably going to be more happy to to pay for content like that, sort of live in the moment? I think so. I definitely think so. I mean, I'm seeing it already. I see people doing uh, live Instagram stuff where uh, they'll pick certain people and have them join. So they'll take fans and have them do a split screen with them uh, things like that. You, that's the equivalent of inviting someone up on stage. Uh, that's pretty cool. And you don't really get to do that uh, otherwise, but you can do it here. Uh, you can take questions from your audience. Uh, that's not really something you can do. If there's a crowd of hundreds or thousands in front of you. Uh, so there is a, a definite closer interaction or interactivity that there is between everybody. We're closer, but we're also farther apart. Yeah, I mean, when we started uh, recording the podcast, we never thought we'd be re recording remotely like this, and uh, it was never really the plan. And, I mean, the challenge at the moment is there isn't really the the software or the hardware available to do this sort of seamlessly. It's a, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a patchwork quilt of sort of putting it together but i imagine if this carries on for another three or six months then then there will be solutions for you know for what we need to allow us to be creative at distance the biggest hurdle right now that musicians have is latency the fact that if a bunch of us are on a screen together uh streaming together there's latency and we can't jam together because of that, because one person plays, everyone else receives it a half second later, that person plays to this half second late uh, reception of, of the audio and video, and then theirs is a half second later, and it quickly becomes a huge mess. If someone can figure out how to knock out that latency where everyone can do it together, that would be pretty amazing, and that would change everything, because then a band can have a concert with all the members each in their own homes, but playing together. And people could be jamming together. You can have all of these jam sessions live, and that will make a huge difference. So as soon as someone figures that out, the online music world is, is going to become great. So there are two ways that this can happen. One is to figure out how to drop down the latency of the transmitting audio video 
down to just mere milliseconds. And the other one is to find some monitoring system that everyone playing can use that doesn't have latency so that they all listen to that and play. And hopefully it's the same amount of latency coming out where it matches up. And Or the other thing would have to be that there has to be some sort of software that will align what everybody is playing, some kind of patch, some kind of filter, something that recognizes a singular point and aligns everything to that point. Yeah, it's going to involve some kind of time stamping, I guess. It's kind of it's kind of got to, but you know, somebody's going to work it out because you know, above all else, there's a there's a commercial opportunity there. Yeah. And it could be used, I mean, for so many purposes, not just this live streaming, but for recording. You know, imagine if a band can all record playing live, but from different places, from different studios. So I'm fairly certain KISS will get that sorted quite quickly if we can monetize it. If they do, I'll buy it. I had the KISS dolls. I would definitely get the KISS reduced latency streaming <laughs> software. I was, uh, I was just telling Ant earlier, when we were on our drive down to Brighton, you told me that you'd actually jammed with um, Peter and Ace. And, yeah, uh, in fact, that jam was uh, in 2013, and it was with Mike Portnoy and Billy Sheehan, and and we were the house band, and other people came up and played with us, and with that, Peter and Ace came up, and Scott Ian and Frankie Bello from Anthrax came up as well, and we jammed... God, what did we do? We did a bunch of stuff. We did Hooligan, and I remember Peter Chris said he hadn't sung that song in 31 years. And we did a Lover All I Can. And what else? We we did a a bunch, and it was such a blast. And if you want to see something funny, uh, all you have to do is just bring up Kiss around Frankie Bello, and he goes into Paul Stanley mode, and he's imitating Paul Stanley doing the voice and the singing and everything. And he's just tapping into that, that youthful kid that we all were, that loved Kiss when we were little kids and was so excited about it. And it comes out like I was doing, uh, you know, Frankie and David Ellison have this band called uh, uh, Altitudes and Attitude. And we were all Kiss fans. So we were playing together and I was on tour with them. Uh, playing guitar, backing vocals, and every once in a while during soundcheck or something, one of us would bust into a Kiss song, and it was just a, a bunch of Paul Stanleys all out Stanleying each other <laughs> and just playing Kiss songs, and one is like, now listen! The other's like, the other day! <laughs> and, and just... <laughs> and it was such a good time. Yeah, Kiss brings out the happiness in 50-year-old musicians. Yeah, I, I'm fairly convinced that... Um... Whilst they they get a terrible press, I mean they certainly do here. I don't know what it's like in the states, but if you asked any fifty plus, probably between the ages of fifty sixty uh, musician, who started them off, are, are, it's going to be a good seventy five percent are going to say Kiss. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that's the thing is that you know once someone you make someone successful, you know like that doesn't happen by they don't do anything the. No band becomes successful on their own. It's people, it's fans, it's, it's the rest of the world that does it. And then once they do it, you just love to hate them and knock them down and crucify them once they're successful. Like you see a lot of that. 
uh, when they're the underdog and the best kept secret, you love them and you're spreading the word. But once you think that they're millionaires and they're successful and all this stuff, then you just love to hate them and, and pick at them and they can do no right. Uh, I see that happen a lot. That's just, that's humanity. You know, that's biblical shit, you know, false idols. Now, you see, I get that, and I get the cynicism attached to that, but I think maybe in the case of Kiss, they might they might be on the edge of a bit of a resurgence because I think there's a, an, a, a groundswell of, of Kiss followers amongst the sort of six, seven, and eight-year-olds. And the reason why I say that is that my my youngest son is going through a phase of Scooby-Doo. So we're, we're hunting around finding as many of the Scooby-Doo movies as we possibly possibly can and his favorite um by quite a, a way is the one that kisser in the scooby-doo meets oh kiss uh, special so there's him and a whole group of his mates that are now wandering around singing kiss songs that's great um you know and and i'll be coming the 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 kiss fans but don't have that that kind of cynical edge to it oh but that's great and you have to give so much credit and thanks to music schools uh and especially ones that start kids at a very young age, things like like School of Rock and things like that. Uh, they expose younger generations to so much great music of the past that they may not have been aware of otherwise. So there's this Pixar movie called Planes, and there's a section in the film, and they use the um, for the the music they're using the guitar riff and actually the the entire track from Thunderstruck. Um, <laughs> nice. And I'm driving along in the car. And I'm listening to ACDC live, and um, Thunderstruck comes on, and my youngest goes absolutely wild in the back of the car, and I'm thinking, well, how the how the hell does he know this song? And of course, it's <laughs> it's from that movie. So there's there's a whole load of rock and roll working its way through kids' animation. Oh yeah, and video games as well. That that has played a huge role in sustaining past music. Uh, I mean, God, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what the hell are those? God, I'm having such a fucking brain fart. Uh, what do you call? Where you, you you're playing the fake guitar and, uh, and uh, um, guitar hero? Thank you. Holy shit! What the hell's wrong with me? That one and and what was the other one? Rock band. Yeah. But yeah, those things. So many people learned about so much music through those games. And there, there might have been people who, you know, oh, I play real guitar and these guys, they're playing this game. But you know what? That's fine. They are. It's not about that. It's about music. It's about music living on and affecting people in a good way and, and being a soundtrack to some piece of their life. So it's great that there's something out there that did that. It's wonderful. I've got a great photograph of um, Kerry King when he came to one of my events. And uh, I had Guitar Hero at the event. I've got a picture of Kerry King playing Guitar Hero to a Slayer song. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he was terrible great. at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So I have a question. Um, Jason and I have been mates for, for a long time, but uh, we've only just started working together on this project. And I don't know how you two know each other. So uh, is, it, is it through the show? It's because we're guitar players and every guitar player, they all know each other. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, I'm not yeah. quite in the same league as Ron. Um, yeah, Ron came over, did the guitar show. Well, the first time was about six years ago, I think, something like that. And then last year as well. Yeah. Now, I did uh, Birmingham guitar shows in 2000 and 2001. 
way back then, but I don't know if it was the same thing. No. Ooh, it was not the same people running it, not the same any of that, right? It was around November of 2000 and 2001. And I remember the 2001 one because uh, a bomb went off. Not there, but at a restaurant nearby that oh, we were no, going yes. to go. Yeah, I do remember that. that, that yep, wasn't and the we were going to eat NIA. at that place. It was the NEC's okay. um, sister venue. It was the, um, what was it called? The British Music Fair. That's it. And we were going to go out to dinner and we were running late. Uh, so we ended up going somewhere else. And the, yeah, I remember what happened was like there was this couple that was going to be joining a bunch of us and they were running late and held things up. Then they ended up not going. So we just found somewhere else to eat. And the place we were going to eat at, at that time as well, everything fucking bomb went off in there yes wow that's how i remember yeah yeah that would be that was 2002 i think 2002 yeah it was um i was okay because i just got a taxi and went home uh, <laughs> but there were loads of people that uh, couldn't even get to their hotel rooms could they there were um there were people staying in the most hideous b&b's up on the, the top end of birmingham for 25 <laughs> quid a night it was not nice <laughs> yeah, I, remember, I remember yeah all about that yeah. Yeah, I was there. Vigier brought me out. Yeah, so are, yeah. Are you, I'm assuming you're still with uh, Vigier. Uh, the... Happily, yes. It's been about 23 years now. The, uh, I noticed you've got a new double neck. It was gold, the one you bought over to the guitar show last year. That's right. Yeah, the gold one. And about two years ago, they made one that has this it's like white where they, they dip it, and every single one comes out with this different swirly design to it. And you don't know what you're going to get. You just dip it and however it comes out, that's what you get. So every single one is unique. Cool. So I have one of those that, that have been using pretty much for everything. It's been my, my main one. You, you, should, uh, yeah, you should try it, Ant, because I, I tried the, uh, the, the fretless <laughs> top neck mm-hmm. on it and couldn't get a decent sound out of it at all. <laughs> it's appalling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first five minutes... You question if you'll ever be able to actually play the thing. And after about an hour, all the senses just acclimate. Your touch, your sight, your, what you're hearing, it all starts to come together. And it happens. You start getting a feel for it. Uh, it's just instead of pressing the string against the fret from behind the fret, now you have to press the string exactly where the fret would be. Just like a cello or a violin, any non-fretted instrument, where you put your finger down is where the string will vibrate from, and that's going to be your pitch. So over time, that gets better too. Yeah, we've got um, at BIM, we've got a double bass in the office at the moment. I have no idea why. It's the same sort of thing, and it's actually behind my desk. So I, uh, any chance I get, I get up and um, basically play some kind of 12-bar riff on this double bass. And I have got better, I must say, over the uh, the months that it's been there. You just have to get mm-hmm. used to it, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those things are tough. Those are some thick strings. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I can't play it for very long. Yeah, it's a hand workout for sure. I've never even thought about trying to play a fretless guitar. I don't know what it is, but for some reason it just doesn't compute. It's like anything, just practice. That's it, you just practice. Play it for 10 minutes a day. Next thing you know, you'll be playing it fine. So did you did you ask Patrice to make it for you, or was it his idea? Or? No, 
Patrice Vigier, they were making those things, and I didn't even know uh, it was the first NAM show that we went to together in 1998. And I saw it hanging up in the booth, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, what is this? It's like, ah, it's a fretless, no one ever plays these things. It's like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, I'll play it. And... He's like, nobody plays these. We've sold three of them in 18 years. It's like, I will play this thing. Give me one. And I took it home and I started immediately writing with it and playing it. It became a bigger and bigger part of, of the music I was making. Yeah, I love the thing. So what's next for you, Ron? Post-COVID, what, what are the, the, well, I suppose, loose plans at the moment? I am not making any plans at all because who knows this could be forever or it could end tomorrow so at this point uh my plans are to come back to this studio tomorrow and to make some more music and keep doing that uh and that's it just take it day by day and try to be creative and useful productive and do something positive yeah so uh what have i been doing uh just a couple of uh, online lessons here and there, uh, been doing some things for, for kids' charities, doing, uh, making music, uh, trying to get a head start on writing the next Sons of Apollo record, uh, thinking about writing some more of my own music, a uh, little bit of everything. So how does it work with the Sons of Apollo? Is it just you that writes or is it a collaborative thing? It starts off where it's uh, me and Derek and Mike that's Derek Sherinian, keyboardist, Mike Portnoy, drummer, whose birthday it is today as we record this. Happy birthday, Mike. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mike Portnoy. Happy birthday to you. And many more. So, uh, so the three of us... Uh, Starts off, we have a, an email thread where I'll make up an idea in the studio, just some little riff, put a little drum machine to it or something and, and send it to them. Derek will play some keyboard riff that he made up and send it to me. And we all go back and forth, really the three of us, just compiling little unfinished ideas and then when we all get together, we start picking all those ideas out of a hat and building upon them. And we'll take one idea and start jamming on it and see where it takes us. And by the end of the day, we have a song done. And we do that every day. Man. And that's how it works. Uh, it's usually the three of us and whoever can get there. Uh, Billy, one time he was on tour and he joined us halfway through. And it was the four of us. And Jeff was still on tour, so he couldn't join. That was for the first record. But the interesting thing about Jeff, that's our singer Jeff Scott Soto and bassist Billy Sheehan. Uh, Jeff likes to wait until the music is done. And I'm always pushing him. I'm saying, come on, just Skype in, do some, you know, let's check out the ideas we're working on and sing along something that pops in your head and we'll build off of that. But he actually likes to wait until the music is all done and then he takes it in and lets it marinate and then starts coming up with his vocals. See, I'm used to building it with the, the singer where, where those vocal melodies can take the song in so many different directions and it's a very important part of it all. But that's how Jeff likes to do it. Cool. 
It's, uh, you were uh, you still doing stuff with Asia as well? Yeah, we were going to. We were talking about doing some touring uh, this year, but I don't see that happening at this point. So hopefully we'll do some more next year. Is that just touring, or is the plan to record as well? I think just touring. Yeah. Yeah. From what we've all talked about, it would just be just going out, playing the songs that people love from the first few albums, and and just making a good time. Are there any? Uh, is it is it more popular in certain parts of the world? I'm fairly certain I saw you were in Asia or something uh, in Asia with Asia. Um, is it is it bigger? Oh, over I have there not or? done. I have not done Asia in Asia. Uh, I think in Japan they have a good following. Uh, Europe, UK, of course. Uh, America, very good following. Uh, some places, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure how they did in Botswana. Uh, <laughs> but you never know. You never know. We have to do our Botswana tour once we <laughs> get out of isolation. So um, I, I think I'm done. Have you got any questions, Ant? I just have one uh, question. It's a bit of an idle curiosity question. But I do think that Ron and I have met before. And I think we actually uh, had a meal backstage at a Guns N' Roses show uh, in Sheffield in the UK. Uh, that was um, June 17th, 2006. That would sound about right. And the reason why I think we did was that I was the closest one living to the venue uh, and Axel had been finishing off the gig every night by throwing his microphone into the audience. And the tour company had quickly worked out that he was throwing a £1,500 transmitter away every evening and they needed a cheaper alternative for the last song, which I think was Paradise City. It was. So that when he did throw it away, they were losing a few hundred quid rather than the thick end of two grand. Now, the tour company had no way of paying the bill uh, as they didn't have a UK bank account. Um, But what they did have was a shitload of cash. So I was dispatched to collect the money um, and I was dealing with a monitor engineer and I can't remember his name um, and I met him backstage and, and I relieved him about six grand um, <laughs> and after we'd done the business, he, he invited me to hang around for the show mm-hmm. and all I remember is going for something to eat backstage uh, with the crew and with the guys from the band just, just around, just after sound check. So I wanted to check my memory isn't failing me and, and just to check that this actually happened. I think that's right. And I have a yeah. sneaking suspicion that Sebastian Back was doing the support show. He was, yes. Uh, yeah, because he wandered in halfway through the meal. <laughs> right, well, in which case then, we probably have met briefly 14 years ago uh, over whatever it was that we ate backstage that night. Well, it's nice to see you again. Yeah, well, it's nice to see you again after 14 years. I mean, clearly I haven't changed a bit, and how you, <laughs> you recognise me, but thanks for confirming that actually this did happen and that my mm-hmm. memory isn't actually yeah. failing me. Okay, I, do you know what? I went to that tour as well. And um, I think um, McBob had got me tickets. And uh, so we were in some kind of like VIP area to the side at the NEC gig. And uh, so I went with my mate Paul. And and when we got there, we were the only uh, males in this section. And we were the only males. We were the only people over the age of what would have been, I don't know, 35 at that point. Everybody else was kind of between... 18 and 25 and female 
and they jumped up and down excitedly for quite a long time. And then was that got, that must have been 2012? Was that 2012? Was it? And, I think so. Yeah. Uh, it got to the encores, and all of a sudden, as the camera pans round on the big video screens, all of the 18 to 25 year olds have disappeared, and there's just two middle aged blokes stood there. <laughs> <laughs> And when we went, we went to the uh, sort of like the meet and greet afterwards, and they were all in there, but they'd obviously been tipped off to go earlier. <laughs> no matter how hard I try to forget, I still remember it all. It's interesting you say that because you seem to have a remarkable memory for dates. Yeah, I'm not imagining that then, because you keep quoting dates like, oh, for the most part, yeah, yeah. I think I do better remembering things that are numeric. I can remember lyrics and words for the life of me, but things that are numeric. I can remember. Does that help with the guitar playing then? Totally, yeah. Helps with remembering songs and parts and everything. Because I, I mean, did completely off topic, but um, when when Ron came over and he did uh, Bim Birmingham for me, which was the day before the guitar show, um, it brilliantly jammed with the students and did like a masterclass for them. And I and I turned up to the sound check of it um, from Build Up and. Uh, I was just shouting kiss solos out at Ron. And it was like, oh, yeah, I can play Love Gun. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) It was just insane. (laughs) The the recall for Ace Freely solos is incredible. Well, they used to call me the human jukebox. And people would try and stump me. And they would just name songs. And I would start playing the songs. They would come up with something obscure. It's like, how do you know? And people would joke and say, you know every song. I don't. But if I know it, I remember it. Like, if I learned it at any point, I'll still remember it. You've actually just solved a mystery there for me, really. Because what you've just said is that you're good with numerics, and that really helps with the guitar. Uh, Now, I'm terrible with numbers. (laughs) I can't remember birthdays or anything. Uh, I'm great with lyrics, but I'm I'm not with numbers. So that's the problem with my guitar playing. The universe has, has always been against me. So you should be a singer. Yeah, well, I'd love that. I'm a frustrated singer. That's 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 what I would have liked to have done. Um, my karaoke tune is Sweet Transvestite from Rocky Horror. Rocky Horror! Rocky Horror! Excellent! So I'm waiting for the next Rocky Horror tour, and I'm going to go for that when it comes up. I see you've met my... Faithful handyman. Don't get strung out by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite. Sweet transvestite. From transsexual. Transylvania. Excellent. And uh, that is the podcast extra. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's funny because just the other night at home, just had dinner, I was doing the dishes and I just started uh, singing. Androids fighting. And just started singing uh, double feature. Silver underwear. See, I don't remember the words, just, but I could remember the. Claus Reigns was the invisible man. Science fiction. Ooh. 
double feature Dr. X will build a creature Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what a great, great soundtrack it's that was. It's an amazing show. Amazing and that launched show. Meatloaf. Yeah, and that pretty much launched Meatloaf from there. Well, mm. well, here's the thing about, about that and Meatloaf. So Meatloaf, uh, a lot of the people from the original uh, stage show didn't make it through to the film. Uh, and and Meatloaf, yeah. uh, on the stage show, he, he actually used to play two characters so he played his own character and he also played the professor the guy in the wheelchair <laughs> but the other thing about meatloaf is is when you hear is when you hear time warp mm-hmm. um and and he does the the you know, the backing vocals in time warp um once you mm-hmm. hear him doing that back and that backing vocal you can't unhear it you 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 know I I I didn't realize it was meatloaf until I realized it was meatloaf and then I can't hear anything else in that song. Interesting. I got to listen for it now. Don't yeah, but it's that. definitely meatloaf. With your hands and your hips, <laughs> you bend your knees in time, and it's the pelvic thrust that really drives you insane. Let's do the time warp again. Yeah, so it's that high bit. He's really like the high. Like I say, when, once you've heard his meatloaf, you can't ever not hear it again. Uh, it's it's like that bit in "You're So Vain," Carly Simon, when you um, when you realise it's Mick Jagger, that uh, you can't hear that song again without thinking it's Mick Jagger all over the chorus. Yeah, yeah. So, Ron, if you can knock me up a, an acoustic backing track for for Sweet Transvestite, mm-hmm. then I'll 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 put the I'll put the vocals on it, and we can use that as the uh, we can use it as the incidental music no, for the podcast. No, no. What do you mean, no? <laughs> you'll do that, won't you, Ron? You'll, you'll be a bit bored one day. You'll knock that up. That's not a problem, is it? Sure. <laughs> there you see, Jace. Well, I never thought we'd end up there tonight. You never know where it's gonna go. I've got one question left that we we need to ask, Ron. Sure. Um, so, uh, me and Ant bond over this mutual love of two guitarists, both called Keith. Uh, first one is Keith Richards, mm-hmm. and the second one is Keith Scott from Brian Adams' band. Oh wow! Yeah. Do you know Keith Scott? Because we would both love to get him on this podcast. I don't. My only. Uh... The closest I've gotten to the Brian Adams camp in any way was one time in the middle of a tour, there was a wedding going on in the south of France, and I was with Guns, and we were asked if we could come play like a quick set at this person's wedding. And it was in between shows, and suddenly just all my friends that were coming to the previous show that were getting there a day or always like change of plans. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> going to San Tropez and we get there and I remember, uh, hearing a Brian Adams song playing and, and looking over to my wife and saying, hear that Brian Adams song. She's like, yeah, I was like, that's Brian Adams. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian Adams was playing, doing a set and then we set up and we played uh, yeah, but that's that's it. Like I don't have any uh, any uh, contact. 
Yeah, I will. Oh, it's probably not hard. I guarantee he's on social media, and if you wrote to him, he would do it. Or if you know his uh, the band's management or something like that. Or if you know a couple of Canadian guitar players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably any human male. Maybe it's hard to believe. Yeah, such a melodic player that guy is. Cool. I think. Well, if you get in touch with him, get him on the show. Tell him I said hi, and I really loved watching him play uh, eight years ago at the wedding in the <laughs> south of France. We will do. I think we should take the opportunity uh, for all of us to say uh, to say hi to Keith Scott. We can put it in the uh, put it in the podcast. Uh, hi, Keith Scott. Hi, Keith Scott. Hi, Keith Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Well, th- thank you very much, Ron. Well, thank you guys so much. It's great to see you and chat with you and, and catch up after 14 years and everything. Yes, and thanks for remembering. That was really nice of you. And uh, we'll get you back at the guitar show soon, as soon as maybe this uh, whole world has um, got back to normal-ish. As soon as we're back to our analog living. Yeah, cool. As they call it. Well, thanks, back Ron. to our analog lives. All right, you guys, be safe, be healthy, be happy, and congratulations on the, on the podcast and lots of success yeah. with it, and I look forward to seeing right. you. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye-bye. So there we are. That was Bumblefoot. Uh, and as you hear, or as you've heard, it was a bit of a bit of a, a a wild night and we had a we had a great time chatting and you know and obviously i got the chance to have a little bit of a sing which is also nice that's and, very surreal <laughs> just, uh, i wasn't expecting well, that i'm gonna have to say to anybody who hasn't listened to the rocky horror soundtrack listen to the rocky horror soundtrack because it is phenomenal it is absolutely phenomenal. It's really underrated, and, uh, and 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 as a guitarist to jam around on some of those tunes, they are really fun to play. I'll take your word um, for it. They were, <laughs> no, no, all right, fine. JC's not. You're all right, all right. You're not having it, but uh, but yeah, it, it worked for me. I've still not had. I've still not had my backing track through. So he's either forgotten or he just he just didn't think I was being serious. But I'm Ron. If you're listening to this, I'm still would like a. A back in, you know, an acoustic backing track to Sweet Transvestite. If you can sort it out, that would be great. Thank you. Um, and 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 there we have it. I tell you one thing. I was going to ask Jace because we were going to talk a little bit about about next week's um, next week's show. But um, how are we on the Keith Scott thing? Have we made any progress? We have made progress. On, on trying to get I now Keith have Scott on the, the email address of his guitar tech and uh, right I, and uh, and, uh, and his website, uh, which I've been on several times. Um, I just, I want us to get to ten episodes before I I plunge in and try and get Keith on the show. Well, we're we're going to get to ten episodes, even if nobody listens, because we've already done the interview. Well, I know, I know. So we are going to get, get ten out there, and uh, it's it's right, okay, really fine. weird since we've been talking about him endlessly for the last couple of months. He keeps appearing. 
in stuff. I was I've been reading. Um, there's a series of books called The Burst Believers, which are obviously about the fifty, right. well, fifty eight to sixty Les Paul. Um, they they're wonderful, glossy photo books. You know, ridiculously mm. priced. Um, I did manage to get most of them secondhand off eBay. Um, right, and um, you're there again with eBay. Yeah, yeah. And he's in he's in two of them, and it's like it's, this is incredible. Um, uh, and uh, oh, I, was, I was reading um, Burst Believers. I'm on a bit of a Les Paul kick at the moment. I was reading another book called Burst Believers, um, and he's in that as well. It's just mental. So you know, the, it, all it, all of the stars are aligning. Um, we need Keith Scott. We need Keith Scott. Well, we we sounds like we're getting a bit closer. Yeah. Um, of course, the danger we have now is if that one of our listeners is actually the guy whose details you've got. He's now about to change his email. Yeah, Craig, if you're listening, <laughs> if you get an email, <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, Craig. Yeah, get, yeah. Please get in touch with the show. Um, I can't imagine he's and, listening. Uh, no, I can't imagine listening. Not. We know. You never know. You never know. So, um, so next week we have got in a in in a bit of a in a bit of a shift from Bumblefoot. We have got Glenn Matlock. Glenn Matlock, um, which, which is just uh, amazing for me as a you know teenage punk rock fan um, to actually talk to Glenn Matlock was incredible <laughs> and hmm. uh, slightly surreal in a different way to Ron, um, but also you know not only has he been in the Sex Pistols, which are one of my favourite bands, but he's also been in the Faces, which are also one of my favourite yeah. bands, and played with Primal Scream, and played with Primal Scream, who I also really like. So. I'm a big Primal Scream fan. I really like Primal Scream, um, and that was that was interesting. For, but it, it was it was the whole thing about. Um, so I watched a documentary the other day uh, on the BBC about the shadows, right? Mm-hmm. So don't judge. I watched this documentary on on the shadows, and and actually you shouldn't judge the shadows. And the reason why you shouldn't judge the shadows is that if you watch a documentary this documentary about the shadows and you realize that dave gilmore's on there and that brian may's on there and Knopfler's on there and you look at the guitarists that are actually on there saying this guy was a deal mm. then you then you have to respect it so um you know um I'm, I'm watching this this documentary on the shadows and you realize that when they were coming about at the beginning Everybody knew everybody else, and at that point in time, it was just incredible. People all knew each other, and were all knocking about together, and and all you know. He, there's a guy that's in a band that um, where the Shads and Cliff, and then the Beatles come along as the as the as the kind of the young pretenders. Yeah, there you know the Beatles were the Shadows punk, if that makes any kind of sense. So um, anyway. So it was a little bit the same talking to Glenn about all the people that were around when he was growing up in that in that part of London. Oh, it was mental. And the and the ties to the faces and the and the, the stuff and and then all the people that, that that were jumping in and out of bands and and what have you. And you you realise how you know all those origins are in the same place. And you get the faces going off in one direction and the sex pistols going off in another, and all these things you know interacting. I thought it was fascinating. I thought it was more fascinating was the moon. The number of incredibly famous neighbours he appears to have. Yes, 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 yes. That's that's very interesting, and you'll hear about that on the on the interview next week. So we'll we'll, we'll leave that one there, uh, and because we'll make reference to it as well next week. At the same time, we interviewed Glenn. We interviewed Earl Slick. Yeah, which was just 
an incredible coincidence that Earl was locked down, uh, stuck in London, so was staying at his mate Glenn Matlock's house and amazingly agreed to talk to us as well. I know, I know. I know, so we've got Glenn next week, the week after we have Earl, both interviews recorded at the same time, little bits of interaction between the two and, you know, and what what a hilarious... A hilarious kind of situation that brought about. So, uh, so yes. Well, I've not. I've nothing much more to add, really. Um, I, th- I think we've not done bad with episode six. No, no. I'm really pleased. I, I, I can't. I can't believe we spoke to Felix, Mike Exeter, Rob Chapman, Rabia Massad, Ryan Roxy, Bumblefoot, Glenn Matlock, Earl Slick. All whilst we've been locked down. <laughs> yeah. And and we did them all uh, and- within what ten days. Yes, yeah, yeah, and Simon. Oh, Simon Bartholomew from Brand New Heavies as well. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, uh, amazing, amazing. Uh, um, and we're speaking to a, a Hoosier as well, aren't we? We are, we're spe- speaking to Erwin. Uh, we've yeah. we've done Thorpey, Adrian Thorpe from Thorpey FX. Yes, that, yeah, that, yeah. And we've got Mikey Demas as well. Yeah, oh, dear, too much good stuff to look forward to. Literally, you should be binging these episodes. <laughs> Um, right, right, I'm going to go. Not binning I'm, these I'm, episodes. I'm, you know, well, yeah, binging, binning. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going to call it a date, Jace. Um, it's been a pleasure to to talk to you as per as per normal. Uh, and uh, and yeah, I'll speak to you next week. All right, speak to you next week, mate. See ya. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production.